Hey, everybody, Melissa McKenzie, publisher of the American Spectator here on the Spectacle podcast with Scott McKay of Reviver.com, R-V-I-V-R.com. And of course, so good at a, that. thank you. So and, good. <laughs> and the contributing or senior editor, I can't remember what you're promoted to now of the American Spectator. So to, it's been a crazy week. I have, I can tell it's a crazy week. I've sat down twice. I've spent probably 12 hours pounding out a piece, twice, two, six hours one time, six hours another time, and scrap both of them because I couldn't quite get a grasp on maybe talking through some of the issues that we're going to be talking through today. I'll be able to more clearly write something. But um, there's so many kind of uh, streams going on. Um, and in the culture right now that I think it's, it's, I think we're in a real time, a change time moment, but before we get to get that, um, let's talk about Herschel Walker in Georgia and David Catron wrote a piece saying going against all conventional wisdom yesterday. He said that he thinks Herschel Walker is going to win and, um, people are talking like it's a done deal that that is not the case, that Warnock is for sure going to win. And Catron laid out a pretty um, compelling piece. I was wondering what you think about this. Well, um, and again, thanks for everybody, uh, uh, you know, watching and listening. Do us a favor, smash that like button and hit subscribe, right? So you can get this thing, um, you know, easily findable on your browser and when you show up on YouTube and everything else. Um, on the Georgia election, I, I mean, I can tell you why, at least on the right, a lot of people are discounting the Herschel Walker thing. And there's a, a number of reasons. Number one, um, you haven't had this giant rush of people uh, coming into Georgia to stump for Herschel Walker, right? I mean, I would have, I could have sworn Ron DeSantis was going to be all over that state. It, it would have made a lot of sense for him to do it. And I, if he went once, I, I didn't even know that he went once. Um, Trump's doing like teletown halls in Georgia, which, you know, that's been justified on the basis of he probably drives away more voters than he attracts mm -hmm. over there. I, you know, of all of the states in the country, um, you could make the argument that Trump has been bad for the Republican Party. And I, it's not an argument I subscribe to, but I do think it's probably true in Georgia. I mean, for, you know, it's just not been a good relationship for whatever reason. Um, and I don't know that Georgia Republicans are necessarily anti-Trump people or anything like that. It's just mistakes have been made. And so I don't know that Trump has been in as much a position to help Herschel as you probably would have wanted him to be. I don't know that Herschel has really developed all that well as a candidate. But having said all that, Georgia is still a red state. You go look at that state legislature and it is overwhelmingly Republican. Um, you know, you look at the statewide elected officials, other than the two Senate seats, I mean, they're overwhelmingly Republican. The congressional districts in Georgia are overwhelmingly re represented by Republicans. Republicans win most of the elections in Georgia. Um, so, you know, you've got an enormous amount of out-of-state money coming in for Warnock. Walker has actually raised more money in-state in Georgia than Warnock has, which, you know, so in other words, and, and I think one of the best arguments for Herschel is the fact that Raphael Warnock is a basically political colony of New York and L.A. 
um, you know, and, uh, you know, speaking in, in an accent that sounds like Georgia, but not for policies that Georgians are for. Um, you know, and then the other thing is, is it's really been very unfair, the fact that people have gone on and on and on about how, well, you know, Herschel Walker's got all these skeletons in his closet, and his negatives and whatever. And then you look at Warnock and Warnock is a disaster. I mean, the guy's a disaster. Um, he is he is a uh, for different reasons. Raphael Warnock is, is similar to John Fetterman. It's not that he's a stroke patient or any of that, but he makes absolutely no sense when he talks policy at all. Um, and there's all these things in his background that are disqualifying. And for whatever reason, none of that gets reported in the mainstream media, for sure. And I mean, this guy has has completely skated. Of course, Democrat politicians skating in the mainstream media is a like, I mean, it's not even controversial anymore. Like we've given up complaining about what a free ride these guys have gotten. And of course, that's been the case for a long time, but it's specifically been the case for the last 15 years or so when, you know, Barack Obama came on the scene and was not vetted at all by the mainstream media and everything that like should have disqualified that guy was kind of swept. Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. And then you find out that all of it is true other than him being born in Kenya. He wasn't born in Kenya. He was born in America, but basically everything else that should have made him completely unelectable you know, was was swept under the rug. And that's being done with Warner. Now, I don't know if Catron is right. I hope he is. I think the fundamentals of politics in Georgia should make him right. You know, but yet I always thought, well, you know, if you're within two to three points in the polls as a Republican candidate, you're probably going to win because of all the shy Republican voters out there. The problem is the last two cycles have largely disproven that. Um, you know, there's all these ballots that show up and they kind of overwhelm the shy Republican voters that turn out on Election Day. So we'll see. I mean, they did pass, um, you know, a, a, some election integrity stuff in Georgia that in other races has definitely made a difference so that you would think, OK, Fulton County can't just count ballots until their guy wins, um, you know, anymore. But, you know, there's we'll find out tonight. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a hard time being optimistic about much of anything in American politics, particularly where it comes to federal elections, because, you know, the system has been compromised and Republican politics is not up to the moment as it should be, either I don't think, on the well, establishment side or on the Trump side. I don't think they want to be. I don't no, think McConnell don't. Wa I don't think McConnell wants to win the seat. I don't think he wants a 50 50 Senate. I mean, look at what they have been doing uh, since the election, passing right. bills that would are absolutely anti-American. Very few Republican American, voters are for any of this And stuff. no Republican voters want it. That's right. And, you know, a, a, appealing to a tiny, tiny, minute sliver of the population and really jamming something down the American's throat that they don't want. And... This is the Republican Party. This is Mitch McConnell um, basically squandering any faith that the people, the voters have in him. And I don't know how you feel, but if the Georgia voters feel the way I feel, which is screw you people, like I, I'm just sick of it. You're going to keep doing this. Why? I might as well have a Democrat. I might as well have, you know, that kind of. Well, now, this I'm, is. This is but all I think this is problem. a legit feeling. Yeah, no, and, and it, this has been the problem 
on the Republican side since 1988. This has been the problem since Reagan went away, is that yeah, you have yeah. a Republican establishment. And, you know, when I talk about Bush Republicanism and Mitch yeah. McConnell and to a lesser extent, Kevin McCarthy, who I think could be reformed into something better than that. Um, Kevin McCarthy doesn't would, have a lot of principle and maybe you can see the, you know, yeah, stick his he was at the White House this week. He was at the I, White I House. It, I get it. I'm, no, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not making a defense of McCarthy. I'm just saying he's not as bad as McConnell. Um, well, but McConnell that, is really the, the exemplar of this and his yeah, little yeah. lieutenants in the Senate that can't wait to vote with Democrats on bills that the Republican voting base cannot stand. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and like these guys, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, it, you know, as a Republican, you can say, OK, so where we're moving in America is um, that the ballots of dead people will be harvested to elect politicians who are then going to ban Christian pastors uh, yeah. from refusing to officiate gay weddings. And this will happen with, with the acquiescence of the Republican establishment. And you can tell me whether as a Republican voter, it's worth my time to step out right. and vote for somebody who is not going to specifically say, hey, send me to Washington or wherever, and I will make sure that this does not happen, okay? Like I will use mm -hmm. every legislative trick in the book to make sure that these people can't pass this. If you're not, if you're not, articulate enough to say, okay, this is, I'm going to convince you that this is who I am and who you can elect uh, to, uh, to the Senate or to Congress or whatever, then you're right. There is no reason to vote for somebody like that. And I'm not saying that Herschel's not that guy. I think Herschel probably is that guy. Problem is he's not articulate enough to, to make people believe it. I don't think, I mean, mm, the thing is people know what he, he's articulate enough that Mitch McConnell doesn't want him in the Senate. Okay. okay that he, he, okay. He's articulate no, enough fair. that the establishment guys are pretty sure they don't want a Christian Bible believing, you know, national name recognition, man, speaking out on behalf of traditional values. Right. That's a nightmare for uh, uh, um, some, somebody who's private sector accomplished and doesn't need a political right. job. Like Herschel Walker can lose this race tomorrow. And yes, probably he will be right. happier as a human being a week from now than if he wins. Exactly. Right? And, you know, those are the kinds of people that a Mitch McConnell doesn't want to have any part of being in the Senate because that guy's going to say, you know what, take the job and shove it. I'm going to do right. the right thing. And if I lose reelection, I mean, I'm not even run for reelection. Those right. are not right. the kind of guys that Mitch McConnell wants to have anything to do with. And mm -hmm. every single one of them on the Republican side who ran he did everything he could to screw them up and make sure that they didn't win. Whether it was Kelly Shabaka, whether it was Bolduc, whether it was Blake Matthews or uh, Blake Masters, you name it. Like those guys all fell short and it was all because they were grossly outspent by their opponents. Um, and in the case of Shabaka, I mean, they were, she was grossly outspent with Mitch McConnell's money mm -hmm. by Lisa Murkowski, who is probably going to die in office. Um, you know, three terms from now when she's 114 years old because the GOP establishment, you know, can't quit her while the people of Alaska are disgusted with her. Yeah. And so but why they should we that, be disgusted with the establishment? Yeah, well, the thing is, is that we have a suburban voting class who doesn't want to, you know, la, 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 who their whole uh, world, and it's tough, right? It's tough to recognize where we're at as a country, where the Republican Party is at that it's so um, 
debased and it's so debased itself and it's fighting for things that even 10 years ago would be horrifying and and that this is a this is a phenomenal segue into our next topic which is the twitter files right 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 so you have people in the in the establishment left and right i'm sorry they're all on the same side mitch mcconnell and chuck schumer and nancy pelosi and joe biden these boomer pieces of crap are all on their own side. They choose themselves over party and they choose themselves over country. And they have consistently done it to enrich themselves. They've, uh, Diane Feinstein selling us out to China, having spies on her staff and knowing it. And just, um, you know, these are not good people. Joe, what Joe Biden was doing in China and Ukraine is not atypical. This is, the typical. So then you have that power married to corporate power. We see it with Disney. We see it with Twitter and every and and Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. You know, the the Democrats come to him and say, hey, Mark, um, you know, you have a choice here. Either help us get elected or you can be investigated. And so he throw. So what's you know, he's got seventy five billion dollars or he did. And what's 200 million into a uh, political race versus what could happen? And so you have all of this this unholy alliance between the business and the and the government, and we see it come out. What's interesting, and Spencer, my son Spencer, was looking at um, some New York Times articles in 1929, and they were basically pro whatever evil thing was happening at the time. And he said, have they ever been good? And I was like, nope. And and never. But the thing is, it's gotten worse. It's gotten more obviously connected and it's gotten quicker. And it's easier, ironically, in the digital age to quash stories than it was it used to be. Um, if people were handing out like little alternative rags throughout New York City, which was, you know, the New York Post at the time, you, you know, people were still reading the the um, opposing point of view, but now everybody gets their news digitally. And so when Twitter talks to the CIA, the FBI, the whatever, who the actual Biden administration officials, and we know that this is happening because Jen Psaki does not want to talk about it because she's being deposed about this very thing. And uh, then it, there's no chance. And free speech is gone. And here's my thing. One, So, well, we'll get to this in a minute. But I don't think that Elon Musk is going to be any better. If he's better, it's going to be marginally better because all of the pressure points are there for the government to absolutely obliterate business. And so what the government is doing right now is they're investigating his company, Starlink. They're looking into that and Neuralink, all of his brain stuff, which frankly scares me. So whatever. But the I'm not going to defend the Neuralink thing. The, the Starlink thing is really bad. And there's the, the reason for this is, remember, Starlink makes all of the billions of dollars in federal money that has been dropped out of helicopters to promote rural broadband. OK, yep. all of that is up in smoke, wasted money. All of these connected companies that got this federal you know, swag to come in. Oh, we're going to do rural broadband like those guys will end up with zero customers 
because it's going to be better internet, cheaper, really, with more service attached to it through Starlink. And right, so right. this is going to like this is going to put an entire sector of people who have given big money to the Democrat Party. This mm-hmm. is going to put these guys out of business. So don't think for one second that they won't come up with all kinds of reasons to screw Elon Musk's business on yep. Starlink. And, and the thing of it is, is that, um, you know, you've already started to see some of this, right? They hit him up. Oh, it, you know, you're, you're, the price of poker is $20 million a month for you right. to provide free internet to the Ukrainians while mm-hmm. this war is going on. And he's like, hey, when's this going to be over? Because this is getting expensive, right? And he says, maybe I should make peace. And what did he get? He got an F-bomb in his face from the Ukrainians. Yeah. These are the most ungrateful people on earth. But remember, before you get mad at Zelensky or any of his people, understand that Zelensky is a puppet. Zelensky speaks for the Democrat machine that runs Washington, D.C. He is their guy. They installed him in in power Mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, They have paid him handsomely. um, I mean, they've given him weapons. They've given him everything under the sun. And he is not in a position to say anything that they don't like said. So when he says this stuff and when his ministers and his, his minions go out and say this kind of stuff, okay, they're speaking for Team Biden. Right. And so this was Team Biden telling Elon Musk, F you, when he yeah. said, hey, maybe we should make you know peace between the Ukrainians and the Russians. All right. And this has put him and I like, look, Elon Musk is a liberal. All right. I mean, he's like he's not a leftist like most right. of today's Democrats right. are. He's a liberal. He's in the Joe Rogan, Barry Weiss mold. All right. right. And all of a sudden, this guy has become I mean, I wouldn't call him a conservative hero, but he's like thrust into our side because he actually believes in the tenets of the founding of America. Um, You know, and he may not even be all that good a guy. What I will say is this, at least right now, and I think his mentality might shift over the next six months when he realizes just how bad things are that, you know, that he's got both feet into. Um, Like, I actually think that, that, you know, he is going to make a big difference with Twitter and with the basic foundations of free speech in America for how long, I don't know, because they're going to make him pay an unbelievably heavy price for what he's doing. And of course, you know, Tesla is, is, and I'm not dependent on federal government. Okay. But Tesla is somewhat dependent on the market having use for electric vehicles. And I don't know if you saw this, but GM is like saying, yeah, we're going to get out of the electric car market because we're, getting killed on this deal either they're ceding that to tesla and that's good news for tesla or it's exceedingly bad news for tesla because what it means is that um electric vehicles as a whole are just not going to make it so if i was advising elon i'd tell him make sure you build a car with an internal combustion engine too just (laughs) well the thing is he doesn't come up with something that like you know you can hang your hat on if this whole ev thing dies off but the other thing is is spacex Right. Which is a NASA contractor. And I mean, even though what SpaceX is doing is putting up Starlink satellites and that's like the part of SpaceX that nobody really gets. Right. And he's done a really good job. Oh, no, we're going to take people to Mars. We're going to do this. That's not really what this is. What this is, is him putting up, you know, thousands of little satellites that have become a network for Starlink that ultimately he's going to you know, be in a position to put all the cable companies out of business and all the internet providers out of business Mm -hmm. because his service is going to be really good, really fast, really cheap, and they can't really touch it. And it's brilliant. And the neat thing was, is he's done almost no PR about Starlink. Right. Um, 
with so he's flown in under the radar but the problem is all of that stuff can get completely whacked if the federal government decides to go hard enough at him and him running you know twitter and do and outing this whole twitter files thing on friday was breathtaking in terms of um how bold it is and how i mean I, you know i'll give him credit for how principled it is but i mean you have absolutely poked the bear well he said he said and people are like that's weird but he said i am not suicidal right so he he knows you he's have put... to say these things because you end up dead right go, oh yeah yeah it was just you know autoerotic asphyxiation or whatever mm. like they'll come up with something that's the favorite like, seems to be the favorite cia way of getting somebody to go uh you know where nobody will ask questions and everybody's too weirded out to say anything but right um, I mean, you never know you never know but i mean the whole point is is that there have been way too many examples of this right. to not at least have some you know mm. element of trepidation about you know this mm. kind of stuff i mean you know, I mean, the one that comes to mind, the, the most obvious is like Jeffrey Epstein, right? Mm -hmm. Who, like, of course he didn't freaking hang himself. I mean, there's, there's no way that happened. And yet it did. And then you know why, which is, you know, Jeffrey Epstein could have said, well, let's see who was on my plane, this guy and this guy and this guy and this mm -hmm. guy. And I mean, you know, that couldn't be allowed uh, to come out. And, you know, and Elon Musk is putting himself in a situation where, you know, he now has that kind of information. Um, so, you know, he needs to be very, very loud and obnoxious about how big his dead man switch is. Yeah. Um, because, you know, what he's doing is agitating a whole lot of, you know, very, very wealthy, very connected people who very much have a lot of information to protect. I mean, I was thinking about, you know, Nancy Pelosi's husband unscathed by the way was at the ceremony for the national award or whatever biden was doing with you know Clooney and the rest of them um gladys remarkable Knight, recovery that guy made remarkable oh, it's a, he was hit by a hammer in the head like four times according to everything and he it's looked and he's old yeah, and he looks fantastic. It's a mirror. It's a modern miracle. These people are shameless, and so we see them like this, and we're supposed to forget that he greeted the police in his underwear. The NBC host who talked about that accurately, by the way, still hasn't been heard yeah. from. Gone. He's just poof gone, and and this is in the media regarding like what's going on with the Hunter Biden, what was revealed with the Twitter thing, you know, Twitter things, which was just scraping the surface because Musk said that um, Taibi had part of it. And then Barry Weiss is going through a bunch of it too. Like there's just a ton of information to go through before the complete report comes out. And, and so, but the mainstream media is acting like, oh, that's old news. Wait a minute. This is news you've never covered. Right. And well, so, that, like, that's the, but that's the game, right? Oh, which right. Is, which is we're going to suppress it for as right. long as we can, and then when we can't suppress it anymore, we're going to dismiss it because, well, that's not news. That happened a long time ago, right? Like that is literally the game. And I mean, right? This, I, you this know, is I, fifth or sixth major thing that they they've treated this way, which is you know you you shut everybody up about it, you know, until 
you know, people know a little something, but they don't know the details because you suppressed it. Mm -hmm. And then when all the details come out and they're as explosive as hell, you say, yeah, it's an old scandal. I mean, you know, really right. They did well, that with I, Fast and Furious. They did yeah. it with the IRS scandal. I mean, yeah. Benghazi, they've done it a million times and now they're trying to do it with the Hunter Biden uh, thing. You know, I don't know that it'll work this time because it's like literally that bad. And because it, it's of a piece with things that now, I mean, this business in Arizona with the election, it's really hard to make the case that the 2020 election was not stolen in very significant ways, okay? And that we don't have a usurper in the White House right now. It's very difficult to make, you know, anything other than that case, okay? It doesn't it's matter really though. Tough. Well, it doesn't we, matter in that- We know, have like, people who don't care. We have vote, we have to face the facts, Scott. We are not in the country we were not, we were in a generation ago. The American people do not care enough. They certainly, uh, they don't care they they if they did they would be doing different things and so it's good enough and so they'll they will sit there and take it i mean i i read i wrote about you know bill clinton and needing like blue dress proof that's we have blue dress proof now we've had it with this hunter biden and and like i keep repeating the fbi had this a year before the primary. Yeah. So like, and of course, Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi knew and they kept it quiet anyway. Well, I mean, that, that's to your point. That's the really amazing thing is that this this was possessed in Democrat circles, because we know that the FBI is nothing but a partisan hack operation for the Democrat Party. We know mm -hmm. that like that. That can't even be argued anymore. Mm -hmm. So everybody in the Democrat Party already knew about this. Yeah. And they still said Joe Biden's going to be our nominee and fixed yeah. the, the, the primaries to make that the case, yeah. which is no longer a, well, you know, like if we keep the Hunter Biden stuff quiet, he's the guy who can win. That's not what this is about. OK, because the other candidates wouldn't have agreed to that. OK, the other right. candidates would have gotten together. Where this like really is scary is the fact that that decision was made. And everybody abided by it, uh, knowing that the Bidens were bought off by the Chinese. OK. And, you know, look at some of who these other candidates were uh, who probably should have stood up and said anybody but Biden, A, this stuff is going to lose us the election and B, you know, I, it's unconscionable to have somebody that's this corrupted and this compromised as our nominee. I mean, the only reasonable conclusion you can come to is that they're all just as compromised. Okay. Well, that, that I think the that Eric that's... Swalwells and the Kamala Harris's and and all of the rest of these people that were running for president, like Joe Biden being compromised by China and Ukraine is not a thing for them because they're also compromised. Right. Okay. And maybe it's not the same company or countries, and maybe it's you know it's different elements that some of these people are are uh, on the payroll of. Um, you know, some of your more doctrinaire socialists from way back certainly took money from the Chavez regime in Venezuela during the, you know, back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, so, you, I mean, you know, Cuba has played a role in some of these people for sure. So, I mean, you know, it may have been that some of these guys are like, well, I can't really bring that up because I got skeletons in my own closet. Right. And the mainstream media, which is going to protect me from those, may not do so if I come off the Democrat reservation. 
right? I mean, right. that is kind of how these things work. If you remember the old story about Saddam Hussein and uh, and how he came to power in Iraq, right? Like, you know, he had members of the Ba'ath Party kill other members of the Ba'ath Party so that they had just as much blood on their hands as he did. Sure. Right. That is kind of how you do it. It's how the Soviet, the Bolsheviks in, in the Soviet yep. Union managed to be like everybody's mm -hmm. got blood on their hands. And so nobody's in a position to object to the really horrible things that get done. And those are the kinds of people that are now in charge of our country. Yeah, on the right and the left. There's people who don't want to believe this. Absolutely. I'm going to bring it back again. But none of this happens without Mitch McConnell's approval, because in D.C., he Chuck Schumer's not that smart. Mitch McConnell is the kind of center linchpin this all turns around. And so when when Trump got elected and upended this apple cart, they, you know, Hillary Clinton and the media and everybody was so confident because they had the system rigged. Right. They didn't rig it enough. Right. And they didn't account for the fact that Hillary Clinton was just hated that much. So now they've really gone overboard is in the rigging in 2020 and 2022, which is why I think people on the left and in the media have been more quiet about the wins. Like there hasn't been a big celebration because everyone's uneasy because everyone pretty much believes that this is BS yeah. and everybody's going, this ain't right. And so they're just like, if we're quiet as church mouses, no one will notice that we just stole everything and that the candidate who had it stolen just certified her own election and threatened jail to people who didn't want to certify it because there were irregularities that needed to be checked. So, you know, here we are, in, and that's in Arizona. And then we have, you know, Herschel Walker coming up in, in Georgia and people going, does the man even have a chance anyway? I mean, if you're a Republican, you have to wonder if even voting matters, which is the point, you know, to de demoralize people. And Absolutely. then more and more people come out, millions more come out for Republicans, and it's still not enough. And it, and it lays bare this, you know, toxic system. So, and then into all of this, Elon Musk wades with the Twitter files and he's trying to retool Twitter. He's trying to make it more free and open. I'm, and then Kanye gets onto Twitter and he tests the system. Now I have a bit of a different take than everyone. My first impulse was revulsion, right? Like I was, my first impulse when Kanye was pulling a stunt was like, oh my goodness, this is so anti-Semitic. I am horrified. All right. I just was horrified. And then I sat there for a minute and I was like, he's using a symbol that's already been on Twitter, you being used by evidently space alien people who think that they're, you know, that symbol that he used. So it was already on Twitter. Those people haven't been bounced because, uh, and, and it's a symbol that likely Musk would know because it's, you know, space dorks and that sort of thing who would, who were into it. And he was testing the limits of free speech. I am I am probably a voice crying aloud in the darkness because no one else agrees with me. I don't think Twitter should have banned. I don't think Musk should have banned Kanye. If and the reason I don't think so is because his what he's talking about needs to be aired out. Part of the problem we have right now in the country is that these it's not like the people who believe these crazy things aren't don't still exist. They're just being shunted off into darker parts of the internet. And 
some of this stuff needs to be aired out. So you wrote a piece today about the, and this is going to be a weird segue people. So just hang in there, but I'm going to get there. You wrote a piece about Tiffany Cross who got fired from, is it MSNBC? Yeah. She had a Saturday morning show on MSNBC that was like bomb throwing hysteria nonstop. Um, you know, Megyn Kelly called her the most racist person on television. Yeah. And rightly, rightly so. Right. And I mean, she's finally just MSNBC had, yeah. had enough and said, okay, she's gone. She's gone. Well, which is, you know, illustrative of itself because I mean, normally, I mean, Joy Reid still exists and hasn't been fired yet. But so this woman gets fired and Kanye West has been canceled for all of the crazy crap he's said about Jewish people and that he's an anti-Semite and everything. He put the icing on the cake with saying that on uh, Alex Jones, even Alex Jones, I watched a clip, <laughs> Alex Jones is like, whoa, you know, um, uh, saying that he, he loved Hitler, he loved everybody. And then he's uh, he compounded it last night. He went on to another show and said These that- Jewish people need to forgive Hitler. Like, they need to forgive stop. Hitler. Just stop, get, stop. Get over it. But okay, so I'm listening to all this. And at first I was like, that's it. But then I was like, wait a minute. Kanye West is a performance artist first and foremost. He is a performer. He has the world's attention. And this is what I think the political people don't realize. One of him is worth a hundred slavish, slovenly, slobbering media people um, on their knees for the Democrats. He can he is pushing the whole argument. What can be said and what can't be said? He reminds me of a child testing their limits at a certain age. You know, can I touch, can I put my finger in the socket here? You know, can I do this here? And I feel like he's like, wait a minute, we can say this about, and people are like, why, why isn't it Fuentes who people call a racist and uh, Kanye West together? What is it that those two guys have in common? Well, they're both, they both have, Christian ideology as a, as a core tenet. And they both are absolutely for um, free speech. And they both are um, identitarians. So- and, uh, and to be fair, they're both, um, you know, attention hawks, right? Well, like that, that's people exa who exactly. Th people who do things uh, to get publicity and get attention. Right. That's right. like- their, Outrageous. their primary skill of overall everything they do is right. rile people up and get attention. Get attention. And, and they've succeeded. So we ended up in this inane place where we have these guys who are, in my opinion, uh, functioning as court jesters. They're revealing the nakedness of all the elites in charge. So... Um, Kind you know, Elon is saying he's for free speech, but if he's dumping Kanye for this, you know, which Kanye's playing fast and loose, but he's not threatening anybody. Not really. You can't. It's a difficult argument to make. And it's certainly one that wouldn't hold up in court.
Not in the old America. Now, I don't know. In the new America, maybe they'd throw Kanye in jail because he's speaking freely. But there, he is no more inciting something than Eminem was inciting, you know, violence against mothers in his raps, you know, which was he was accused of, you know, years ago. Or video games are inciting violence, okay? he He's provocative, sure. So my opinion is don't ban him. Let people block him, let people ignore him, but don't ban him. Now, Elon can do what he wants, it's his thing. But I do think in that one fell stroke, he undermined his free speech. So the speech is not free. You and I can't say what we want. Your your piece at Re- Reviver, which is a little edgy and provocative, um, you do, I, you know, I challenge you to do a Twitter thing going, you know, and really going after Tiffany Cross and people are going to be all over you like white on rice calling you a racist. Probably. And, but we can say, we can say that all white people are this. We can say there's certain things we can say, right. But there's certain things we cannot say. And this is one of the things Kanye is getting angry about and what he has in, in common with Fuentes. And my concern is they're, they're right. Because of identity politics, because of critical race theory, because of the way speech coding has happened over the last 10, you know, 10, 15 years with social media, where more and more things are you can't have said, which we used to all just talk about in conversation in our homes freely, Black people, white people, everybody friends with each other, but we can't have them publicly. We can't talk. So it, it means there's a whole class of things we cannot talk about uh, honestly, we can't talk about the abuses of the American people by our media system, you know, where we're just getting filth poured onto us from Hollywood and not expecting it to affect the culture. We can't have discussions about crime in cities and homelessness and or whatever, because it's impolitic to notice who is who is committing these crimes. And because we can't talk about it because it's racist, if we talk about it, we can't solve it. You know, Freud said that the diag- that the the cure is in the diagnosis. Well, if you can't even have a discussion about what might be the causative thing, and Charles Murray put up with this with the all the things that he's written, which has gone against you know the um, it, all factual, by the way, scientific and true. But we can't have a conversation scientific and true about COVID. So truth itself is put on the menu. And I think this is what Kanye and Fuentes have in common, even if they're both outrageous. What can we, oh, we we can say this. We can, no problem, we can say this, but we can't say this. Well, I want to be able to say whatever I want. Otherwise, I'm not a free man. And And that's true. Most yeah, of the people, it's and you know all of that. It's a very fair point, and it's I think that Elon put himself in a very difficult position. Well, he was put in a difficult position to begin with because yeah. when Kanye said the stuff that he said about you know the Jews, um, <laughs> it put. Right. I mean, you're Elon Musk, and you're like, okay, so this is the most inconvenient thing. I just took this thing over. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to I'm trying to put this thing together as a free speech medium i've got this guy you can at least make a credible argument abusing this 
before mm-hmm. he's been able to reset Twitter as a look, you know, we're going to do free speech here and hate speech is not going to ultimately survive as a viable means of communication because it's going to get rejected by the audience, right? right. More so than, but it's, it's all so new and it's still out there. And from a business standpoint, when he's got all these people already um, threatening to pull advertising and all the rest mm-hmm. of this kind of stuff, um, you know, and here he is trying to say, no, if you trust people, they will, you know, with, with the ability to say what they want, you will reach an equilibrium that people can, it's when somebody puts their foot on the scale that this stuff starts going wrong. And then along comes Kanye West to do this. It's like, oh my God, this is so bad for business. I can't afford this right now. Like, I get it. I don't think it was a good decision, but it might've been the least bad decision from the standpoint of a CEO. Okay. Now, you know, philosophically, you let it stand and then you just, you just, you know, kind of cover your eyes and say, okay, hopefully in a week from now, this will, this will back off or at least, Right. He keeps talking and eventually it's it's one of these where it's like, you know, sh- guys, should I pull him? Is it in his, in his best interest for me to pull him? And that actually might be a thing because I think you may have a really good point about how uh, Kanye is testing the limits of, you know, what we're allowed to say. Kanye may also be completely mentally unbalanced as well. He may be like, I don't know enough about this guy to know what his mental state is, but he may be in need of an intervention. This guy might be bipolar. He might be a manic depressed. I don't know anything about his psyche. And so it might be that you got a guy who's completely off his rocker. And if he didn't pull him, God knows what, what, uh, what might've come next. And we'll find that out off of Twitter because People still want to interview Kanye West and he's got a, a, you know, he's got a webcam too and can say all kinds of things. And he keeps saying them like you noticed, you know, noted last night was, oh yeah, the Jews need to forgive Hitler. And it's like, no, okay. You can't say this kinds of stuff. You know, now the other, the, the big thing that I have with Kanye though is this, where his, his, his basic point is, you know, like, Hey, I'm a black recording artist and the Jews control the record industry. All right. And I don't know that he's necessarily wrong about that. Certainly when you know Dave Chappelle goes on Saturday Night Live and he does the, the opening monologue, which I haven't watched mm-hmm. an opening monologue on Saturday Night Live in forever. Mm-hmm. And I see this and I couldn't stop laughing. Not wasn't enough to get me to watch Saturday Night Live again, but I'll certainly watch, you know, YouTube's of it if they're, if they're that good. But, you know, Chappelle was basically like, yeah, it's true, right? So my whole thing is this. If Kanye, what Kanye is saying is true, and now he's going off on the Jews. It's like, dude, you do realize that if they control the record business and you got rich and famous in the record business, that those guys are your benefactor and right. you should be grateful to them for allowing you to be rich and famous and probably not beat up on the Jews. And it's like, okay, but I mean, yeah, like, the the, the is, thing- these are not a malign influence, at least where you're concerned, because if they control the business and freeze people out, they didn't freeze you out. And you're like, at least before you decided to throw it away, you were worth a billion dollars. Well, the thing I is, I think that what he, I think there's multiple, and this is why I think there's multiple things going on here. Here's a guy, this is this is a black guy who who thought, when I make a billion dollars, when I have this much power, I'm going to be able to s- finally have freedom. I'm going to be able to say what I want. I'm going to be able to do what I want. And then 
the divorce happened, you know, life is falling apart. And he realizes that there are certain things that he cannot say that the media is controlled by certain people, probably his ex-mother-in-law, that, that, that there are things that he are beyond his control that he thought. And the other thing is culturally he sees Jewish people sticking together. Although anybody who, you know, knows anything about like Israel politics or, you know, any, any, you know, there's always really a thing at all. That's not really a thing, but from his perspective, it looks, you know, uh, in, in Hollywood looks, you know, like a monolith. And he's like, why aren't black people standing up for each other like this? You know, where, where, where's this brotherhood? You, you know, I think there's a lot of things going on here that he is reconciling. And I think it really bothers him most of all that he, even with the money and power that he has, isn't, doesn't feel like a free man. And for an artist who wants to, you know, speak freely and, and I'm saying all of this, by the way, I was a Kanye fan way back, right? I've loved his music from the beginning. He is a musical genius. I don't care what anybody else says. He does things that other people cannot do. Um, you know, I would suggest for anybody listening to me who hasn't heard uh, his music to go just listen to it. And this is off of one of his first albums, a song called Jesus Walks. And anybody who's been a Christian knows the hymn, but to have how he deals with it. And then what he raps about in between the the chorus line is really, he's unbelievably prophetic, scarily prophetic. His words definitely have power and he's influencing people. And I think the, the thing that concerns me is that I think that his message is landing. And, uh, you know, that would make Elon want to, you know, get him off Twitter because it's like, ah, but culturally he's going, wait a minute, are we even America anymore? If we can't say what we want, are we free? And who, who really has the power? And what happens is when there is an economic slowdown and there are, um, you know, people feeling aggrieved, uh, these messages can sound appealing and so like i think it's dangerous for people not to be taking this seriously i think that there is a a strong undercurrent where like boys my son's age plural i have two of them have only heard negative things about being a white male have only there's never been a positive message from their institutions of learning, from all of the culture where white males are not persecuted. Well, what happens when the dominant uh, race starts identifying by their race? Because they've been taught to do that because of critical race theory. Right. So we have people- Yeah, the, who, answer, the answer to that question is, is you, that's, we saw it right. Germany in the 1930s. That is yeah. literally what you get when you have the majority of a country feels aggrieved right. uh, that a minority was ta is taking advantage of. Is right. that that's literally how you get what? Well, you got and that, it wasn't. I mean, the fault of everything in Germany was, in some ways, external after World War One and the. Yeah, but that's you know, not how it was perceived. But that's not how it was perceived exactly, and so as 
the if the economy goes south, which it's in contraction right now, which is alarming. And, and this is where I think like the keyboard class is completely out of touch. COVID didn't touch them. The um, dot-com bus didn't really touch them. The um, housing bust in 2008 didn't touch them. They just have had, you know, been going along with 4% unemployment this entire time. And, but the lower and the middle class, working class people have taken it on the chin every single time. Right. And gone this, from manufacturing jobs to fentanyl. I mean, that's right. That's basically yes. And and so um, and it's not so easy for them to just, uh, you know, adjust like these really obnoxious journalists saying, you know, learn to code, you know, when these coal workers lost their jobs. Meanwhile, you know, now they're mad when people say that to them when they lose their jobs. Well, as the as the job losses mount, like in media, in technology, in and in these uh, upper middle class jobs, as as things shift and as everything contracts, Amazon's cutting you know jobs. This is very dangerous. I'm really concerned about the fertile soil that is for this kind of divisive grievance and and no and and we don't have an elite they are they are enriching themselves so so completely so shamelessly so exhaustively and so uh right in the faces of everyone that um it's right there there there's a you know there will be a uh shock when when the people revolt against this but it shouldn't be a shock this this kind of this contempt for your own voter contempt for your own pe people has existed really since um bush senior ironically enough he possessed of noblesse oblige out of the cia the kind of hoity-toity republican you know blue blood from the northeast who was reagan's veep and from, the, but there was always this kind of like, they're there little poor person. And I think that Kanye and Fuentes and a lot of these folks are going, and I'll tell you this, a lot of black people are looking at Kanye and going, if it can happen to that man, none of us stand a chance. Right. Well, and let me, um, I'm going to get into this Reviver piece about Tiffany Cross yeah. a little bit because it yeah. picks up on a lot of what you're talking about. So, um, and and just so you know, uh, the Reviver piece was actually going to be an American Spectator column um, because uh, I guess her name is Karen Ataya, uh, who is a columnist at the Washington Post on Sunday, wrote this whole thing about how awful it was that Tiffany Cross got fired at MSNBC. And it was all, you know, I mean, she spoke out against white supremacy and look what she gets. Right. Mm. Um, and I like just to make a quick interjection, you know, you talk about what what do you get when, um, you know, when you get all this like entire generation of like white kids who never hear anything being, you know, positive about like white people. Right. Well, that same critical race theory stuff. Okay, is toxic not just to white people but also to black people as well because it, you know you teach you teach white kids that they come from oppressors 
but you're also teaching black kids that they come from oppressed, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what you get with Karen Ataya, Tiffany Cross, Joy Reid, a lot of these other people that you are now bringing up this, you know, entire class of folks who get elevated in the media. I mean, Karen Ataya, uh, like her, her deal, if I remember it right, is she's, you know, goes and gets a grad degree in journalism, right? Which anybody that gets a grad degree in journalism is just setting their parents' money on fire. And her dad's like a pulmonologist or some kind of crap like that. Anyway, she goes and gets a job working like in Trinidad and Tobago or something for the AP, and which is a, like an absolute nothing job. She does that for like two years and then they pick her up at the Washington Post, all right? And she's got some nothing deal. Like she's on the editorial staff running the global opinions desk. And like her claim to fame is that she signs up Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah. All right, right? The, the kind of pro-Jihad Saudi guy who ultimately- How much do you think she was paid for that? How much do you think she- I mean, you know it, but like, so the deal is, it's like she signs him up and he writes a bunch of stuff for him whatever and pisses off the saudi government enough that they kill him and all of a sudden karen Ataya is like relevant for like a short period of time they get she writes a bunch of stuff complaining about how he got killed and all this kind of crap and like she gets the national journalist of the year award from the national association of black journalists and woohoo like karen Ataya is a right. big star that was 2019 three years later nobody's heard her name again she said she was going to write a book about her and jamal khashoggi you go on Amazon looking for that book, and what you will find is an audio CD that HarperCollins put out, okay? That, that, like the price is $45.23 for an audio CD, and then you look, it's like temporarily out of stock. I'm like, temporarily out of stock? Let's look at the, let's look at the rank on this. Oh, I can't even find a rank. So has it ever been in stock for $45.23? And this is like her, she's a journalist that has had, four years to write a book about this subject that she got a national journalist of the year award for. And, mm -hmm. and it's an audio CD that you can't even get. All right. So like, in other words, this is somebody who is, is a nobody. Okay. Right. It's a nobody. And she goes and she writes this piece about Tiffany Cross, whatever. And so like, I'm like, all right, well, yeah, I'll write about this. What am I going to write about? And so I call a friend of mine who is black and female. And it's like, should I touch this? And she's like, not only do you got to write about this, here's what you got to say. And I mean, she launched into this like brilliant, brilliant rant about how the media and the cult pop culture is elevating politics too, is elevating like, not like black women per se, but like a specific class mm. of black women, Joy Reid, Tiffany Cross, Karen Ataya. You know, like in politics, it's like the Latoya Cantrells and the Lori Lightfoots and the Muriel Bowsers and Maxine Waters and Sheila Jackson Lee. And she, like she gave it a, a, a four letter uh, acronym, which is toxic black female aggressors. And I'm like, holy shit, that's like, wow. And she's like, no, this is a thing. Right. And for people who are, you know, not of a political or activist bent who just want to get along with folks like it's a disaster to have the media elevate that mm. um and she like really was uh, kind of incensed about the fact that karen ataya didn't so much by name attack rashida jones who's the president of msnbc 
Mm-hmm. But but like had this paragraph in like it's especially damaging that Rashida Jones would have been the mm-hmm. one to pull, pull the trigger on Tiffany Cross. And what my friend was saying is like, go research who Rashida Jones is, right? Because right. Rashida Jones came up from like local TV and I think Columbia, South Carolina, or somewhere. Took like a bottom feeder NBC station and in three or four years running it turned it into the market leader then she got like the weather channel and like really boosted the weather channel like she's like somebody who's really accomplished by any you know uh definition of the word like Mm -hmm. she's taken jobs and made the things she's run better all along like if she was a football coach she'd been a somebody who'd like taken over a three and nine college team and turned it in a nine and three team and then moved on to another Mm -hmm. job right? Like she's not somebody who just gets promoted because she's black or female or any of that stuff. She's good. Right. Right. And I'm saying this about somebody that runs MSNBC. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not like looking to go give compliments to MSNBC people, but Rashida Jones is actually somebody who, you know, is credible in the decisions she makes. She looks at Tiffany Cross and says, Oh my God. Right. So my friend <laughs> sees this and says, this isn't even about race. This is about what they're trying to do and who they're trying to elevate, right? And so you have Whoopi Goldberg on The View that never gets fired, even though she says fireable things all the time. You've got these, you know, these mayors of these cities who are just disasters, but you can't criticize them. They fail up all the time. And so mm-hmm. my friend is like, this is so toxic. Because there are so many people in the black community that see that and are like, you know what? Our people just can't succeed because look mm-hmm. at the people who like are supposedly successful. They're not. They're awful. And it's like, well, why aren't we getting, you know, the, what, the is positive this, did feedback she, about people who are actually good at their jobs? Did she, I, like, I thought that did, was a pretty profound thing that she said. Well, I'm, I'm curious because like, so I'm from Detroit originally, and and one of my friends, her family moved down here from Detroit. She's black. My experience with black people has always been hardworking, married people, yeah. families, just like my family. We, you know, um, and but I, it was interesting because a friend down here said, "Well, everything that I see in the news is not that." Right. And so she's like, I've, she's like, I've never known, um, like a black married couple. And that blew my mind because all I knew were black married couples. Okay. So, and families. Right. And, um, so like, I was like, I was thinking about that and how that would affect your perception. So the, my, my question here is, is it the same thing? Is it the same thing that is happening to white women that these kind of, you know, you can't tell me nothing type of women, and it's happening amongst white women too, where you, you yeah, I think see it's these more young- pronounced among among like who gets elevated in the media from from a black female standpoint, but that it's so happening often in- black like black, black community black culture is like a leading indicator of what's mm-hmm. coming, right? Particularly like it goes from black to white really really quickly. And we're seeing that kind of, you know, statistically across the board in all of these different, mm-hmm. you know, sort of performance metrics societally, whether it's unwed childbirth or any of these kinds of things. Like you can definitely see, you know, black people tend to be a canary in the coal mine where it comes to culture and particularly. So, 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 yeah. so like what I read about this was that the reason that this is happening is, is economic, that 
they need women to be to be workforce participants. And and the thing is, a single mom who's running a, around taking care of her kids and whatever has a much more difficult time getting into just because of her life uh, stresses. Um, and, this, and the same is true, by the way, of white women. Yeah. So like women trading in being a wife and a mother for being a secretary or being a waitress or being a housekeeper or whatever. They're much and, more exploitable economically. There's no question. Yes, much more exploitable. I had never made that connection. Now that might make me like an idiot until recently where I was like, oh, this is the incentive. So women are still working at the pleasure of men it's just they're doing it without any of the obligations that men have had toward women. Because uh, instead of a husband, you have a boss, the boss man who doesn't give a crap about you and doesn't care about your kids. And I was like, huh, wow, this is really a tool of Satan. You know, th this is not something that I even thought about. And you, and you see the okay, well, yes. Let me, let me jump in and ask you this though real quick, because I okay. think I know the answer to it. Yeah. Um, what was the thing that flipped your switch where you went, oh, because I'll bet I know. I don't know. I, the thing that did it for me was the workforce participation after COVID. And I was looking at the data, data and so I'm probably not the answer that you're looking at, but I was like, what's happening and why are we, why are we having so many fewer? And my anecdotal evidence in my life was that a lot of these working class women, their husbands were now saying, stay home. And if they could, they were. Right. And then I and then I started digging deeper and, and then I was saw it. What were you gonna say? I'm curious. Well, I mean, because the the thing that like really hammered at home if you weren't already there was when corporate America started talking about giving money to their female oh, employees to go get abortions. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because that, well, that was confirmed like, it. Yeah. Whoa, like wow. really? Yeah. You know? Um mm -hmm. I mean that the exploitative relationship with mm -hmm. respect to working women, I mean, it was undeniable at that point. You know, if, you, yes. if you're willing to go pay people, you know, to to kill their their freaking own flesh and blood, because it, you know, it's cheaper to do that than to have, you know, happy family uh, mm -hmm. uh, oriented folks working for you. I mean, like anybody who's like a corporatist at that point. Like yes. check your soul at the door because you're done, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And and that you know hopefully, and and maybe the moment has passed, but hopefully things like this will ultimately make people start to realize how badly off the track we are societally when we actually tolerate corporate America doing manifestly evil things like that mm -hmm. to their own employees that they're supposed to have some sort of fiduciary responsibility for. Um, but I mean, you know, what, and what it ultimately comes down to, whether it's the sort of the, the, the take from this Tiffany Cross firing and this mm -hmm. sort of, you know, like elevation of this personality type and the damage that that yeah. does, because like, you know, for example, within the black community, I don't like, I don't know many black guys out there and I don't, can't really speak for this because I, I know a few black guys, but they're not a representative sample per se. But I don't know how many black guys find Joy, Joy Reid attractive. Forget about whether she's like physically attractive, like the stuff that comes out of her mouth. And it's right. like, hey, how'd you like that to be your wife back home? I can't imagine there are very many black guys who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, Joy Reid's great. 
mm, they, they may like her on television a little, but they definitely don't want to have to wake up next to that every morning. Okay. Somebody and, married what? What's her face? Anna. Uh, oh, what? She's a re- supposed ex-Republican on The View. Anna. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the the one that the one that Tiffany Cross beat the living hell out of and called her like I can't remember what what the title was, but it was like this horrendous thing that she said about uh, she said about that one, and Tiffany Cross got fired. Um, but I mean, you know, whether it's Whoopi Goldberg or Stacey Abrams or right. I mean, Latoya Cantrell was married and she dumped that guy over and now she's screwing the guy from the NOPD who's her uh, security officer in a city owned apartment on on city time. And like they mm-hmm. got the video to prove it's happening and everybody in New Orleans is like, eh. and it's well, hey, this is what you get. Right. I mean, it's not a surprise. We knew who this woman was when she first got elected that she was like, you know, one of these people that would do manifestly awful things. And if anybody called her on that, they were either a racist or a sexist. And that's how she got away with all this stuff that she did. And this happens over and over and over again. The point is, none of that is personally attractive. And you are promoting this in the media that, hey, this is who you should be if you want to get ahead in the world. And you don't get ahead in the world because you become toxic when you uh, do that. And I mean, I, I go on and on about this in, in sort of a gender and sex construct. And I know, Melissa, you're probably tired of hearing about it, but like this kind of goes back to what Hollywood is doing with um, female protagonists in- Oh, uh, yeah. TV, yeah, Right? It's, you know, girl yeah. boss who beats up the 250 pound men rather than um, promoting, hey, there are ways that females have gotten what they wanted in- you know, history mm-hmm. for thousands of years that don't involve so much as slapping anybody. I mean, like there are skills that are very useful that are not represented in, at all in movies. And when girls think that they can go beat up a guy and get what they want, that's not the road to happiness because it's not going to work out very well. Well, um, okay. To your point. So there were years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, I went to Netroots and they had a panel on superheroes and this was before the big marvel push right and i think at the time the the can't remember if the movie was salt but they were talking about different um which was absurd because angelina jolie is like could be broken like a toothpick right and so she's beating up all these guys or something it's ridiculous and I'm at the back of the room. I asked a question and I said, do you think it is good representation to have women being doing, doing things in videos to men that are impossible unless you're Wonder Woman and, and you're a goddess, right? You know, one of my, my girlfriends said to me, she goes, you know, Wonder Woman, that's just so, you know, that's unreal. I was like, she's a goddess. She's going to beat up guys. Okay. So we get that. That's okay. But when we're talking about like the average, you know, girl boss that we're talking about, that woman is going to be destroyed. Do we really want to introduce the idea into the culture that women can beat men up when it's not true? And the women on the panel was all women. They were like, wow, we hadn't thought about that. And I'm like, because what you're doing is basically saying that it's okay for women and men to get into physical altercations and women are going to lose that equation every time. And so we have seen these kind of, you know, Ray and star Wars. Uh, You know, I saw a really great thread about talking about the Mary Sue, where we have these women protagonists 
modern ones where they're the women are perfect, don't ever make mistakes and have no character arc, as opposed to someone like Leia, who, you know, was shaken, was, you know, uh, a prisoner, was made a slave and overcame, you know, and had a natural story arc, but she was still a woman, yeah, right? right? And, and so like, and still a princess. And so there's this kind of, I totally see this, this trope now. And I'm wondering, what do we do to undo this? Like, because if you interview young college girls, they are to a person brainwashed. Oh, First off, they don't understand how men think at all. Right. Yeah, we were and talking about that in the last podcast. Last one. And, and second of all, this, find the second half of last week's yes, podcast where Melissa yeah. goes into this because it's really, really, really good. Oh, well, that's kind. But I do think my, you know, we can talk about these problems. I'm just wondering what the solution is. And well, I, let me interject uh, here because I do actually, unless you, you if you no, nope, I don't have one. So go for it. All right. Um, so last week I stumbled on, um, and it was actually a friend of mine who's a pastor um, uh, on Facebook, like noted that there's a movie, I guess it came out early this year called Redeeming Love. Okay. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I think it was an, it was an Angel Studios release or something. Mm. It's Christian things. And it's the story, the biblical story of Hosea and Gomer. Okay. And mm. if you don't remember that one. Hosea is the guy who marries um, a prostitute and she leaves on him. And then she leaves, comes back and she leaves again. And she comes back, she leaves again. He never stops loving her. All right. And it's one of these. And finally she comes home and that's it. And they have a family and whatever. And she's like, but she was so broken inside that, you know, she couldn't just flip the switch. So they, they took this story. Somebody had written a novel about, that basically kind of modernized the story a little where it takes place in California during the gold rush. All right. And they made a movie off of the novel. Um, and, you know, and I ended up watching the movie, fabulous movie. I mean, it's like really well shot and the story is good. I mean, it's, it's like actually kind of a tearjerker. It's a, it's a very good movie. Uh, the rotten tomatoes audience score. Of this thing was 95. You wow. know what the critic score was? 11 yeah okay so they made this movie i don't know if it made any money but the point is like this is how desperate the militant atheists and the anti-christians mm -hmm. and the you know the wreckers of the culture that are in control of hollywood like like went out of their way to trash this movie that there was nothing wrong with it wasn't like the acting was bad the acting was actually better than most of these Christian movies I've seen, the direction was good. The cinematography is terrific. I mean, you know, it's kind of like a whole lot of nature shots of like, you know, the country in California, like really, really, really well done, I thought. Um, but they went out of their way to make this out to be like the biggest bomb movie of all time. And the audience mm -hmm. was like, bullshit, this is great. 95% score, all right? Right. What I would say is the answer is to overwhelm the system with redeeming loves. Okay. Like you've got to have the cultural content that backs up, um, uh, you know, the message and it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be preachy propaganda shit. I mean, there's plenty of great stories out there that can be drawn on to reinforce the culture and the values that 
regular folks, I'm not even going to say traditional Americans, just regular folks, um, you know, can sink our teeth into, as opposed to, and like these things, I guarantee you, because I know they didn't spend a whole lot of money making Redeeming Love. I don't know how what it made. I guarantee you it made a profit. On the other oh, hand, yeah, uh, yeah. Because all of these Christian movies do. I mean, they, they spend like a million dollars or two million dollars and they make eight, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, for example, Strange World that Disney put out where they're going to lose a hundred million dollars, okay? This thing had a hundred and eighty million dollar production and marketing budget. And the first weekend it did 18 million, okay? Like they're going to take a freaking bath on this movie because it's gay propaganda, all right? And it's not the first time that Disney has done this. They've done it over and over and over again, and they lose money every single time. So much so that you know that might making money is no longer what motivates these mm-hmm. guys. Okay, that's fine, all right? But there is a massive hole in the market when these guys deliberately make movies that nobody wants to see, or TV shows, or whatever, or any kind of cultural content nobody wants to see. The moviegoers goers are still there, okay? The audience is still there. Mm-hmm. And everybody bitches that there's nothing on TV, right? So the answer is, okay, fill that void with stuff that actually re- you know, reinforces people's values. And it and doesn't, you it doesn't seen- really have to be that good so long as it's affirming in, in some way, shape, or form to normal folks. They'll say, you know what? It might not be the best movie you ever saw, but at least I wasn't offended for two hours. And they will watch it. Okay. Have you seen the, yeah, I think that's a good answer. And it brings the, me back to what uh, culture is before politics. So the culture has to change. I just finished the book Piece of Soul. Yeah. Bright Andrew said that Piece of Soul, which was written by Fulton Sheen talks about, he's a Catholic priest from, you know, all you older people will know who he is. Um, but he was talking about fixing the internal space of people and then the politics and the external space changes. There has been, have you seen any of the chosen, the, the, um, I'm, I'm watching TV series two right now. Okay. So I've, I'm all caught up. I took my kids to the theater to watch season three, the first two episodes, they had a theater event and right. it did so well. They held it over in theaters. That and- made more money the first weekend than Strange World did. Did it? Yes, it did. See, though, that's a, such good two, news. Two because TV it, episodes that you can stay home and watch for free watch. did better box office than Strange World did. But the production values are off the charts yeah, with this. The rate, the writing is great. The acting is fantastic. It's just that, beautiful. The guy that they, I don't know what the guy's name is, but the guy they cast as Jesus yeah. in The Chosen, there's something about this guy's eyes. So it's like, yeah. like they were born to play Jesus because the guy's yes. eyes just have this kindness to yeah. him. It's amazing. You almost feel like it's like CGI or something that they've kind of altered. No, Nobody can him. have eyes like this poor guy, the poor guy, like this guy has that yeah. like when he looks at the camera, you're like, that had to be. What he's Jesus Catholic was. too, you know, he's Catholic. And it's, the Pope. It, 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 it's fascinating because you're watching like, yeah. I, I totally believe this guy as Jesus. Like, oh, totally yes. Believe it. Have you re- have you gotten to the scene yet? I don't want to ruin it where uh, Mary Magdalene has a um, sinful episode, let's say, after she's been saved. 
No, okay, I don't want to ruin it. That's in season two that I haven't gotten. Yeah, okay. There is, it's just so beautiful. And I do think, and this is all, if you'll notice, like the mainstream media, this is a phenomenon. This is a new way to finance movies, new way to finance. $370 million that Angel Studios has crowdfunded the the They've crowdfunded, yes. Their other projects as well. I mean, it's like off the charts and the thing of it is (laughs) and i mean nobody in hollywood wants to talk about this we talked about this last the last podcast is like so the the angel studios people have crowdfunded 370 million dollars or whatever it is for the chosen right and hollywood is gonna get money from china and the drug cartels in mexico to finance their movies right right like yeah like which one do you think has a better future as a as a going concern, right? Like sort of this budding mm-hmm. Christian film industry versus, you know, uh the people that make, you know, Strange World and um Bros mm-hmm. and uh all of the all of these like Holly mm-hmm. these uh, Oscar bait movies that all debuted like the week of thank weekend of Thanksgiving. And right. every one of them did like two million dollars. Right. You know, what is it? Call Jane or whatever is like the abortion movie and all that. Right. Nobody wants to watch any of that crap. Like nobody wants to watch no. it. It has right. zero entertainment value. It's left wing propaganda and that's it. And like there is no, even left wing partisan people are like so full up with that content that they won't even go out and support those movies. Right. Well, the interesting thing is, is like with The Chosen, is the actors are like, actors who've been in other things some of them have been in like hollywood productions and how how much joy they have like you see them interviewed and I, I, you know it's they really reached out like, i'm on right that's a really like it's powerful so, yes they actually so, believe, it's like i finally believe in a project that i'm working on right they know they're doing something objectively good for people and and not harming them and so like that's very heady stuff i think for an actor to be playing first of all iconic parts right like you know you're getting to be go down in history as one of the most important people ever who's been characterized in write, writing ever so i mean that's heady stuff but i'm i'm excited for the future and it's interesting to me that the mainstream media isn't talking about this i've actually been i'm on their media list and they have sent different things for, you know, interviewing some of the actors. I think we should have um, invite uh, yeah, well, them well, to come on to our show. Well, and yeah. interestingly enough, there and, and I, it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen anything about it. There's another project that Angel Studios is now doing crowdfunding for. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's like kind of a sci-fi thing um, where like this guy uh, basically gets to... Uh, he's down on his luck. His life stinks, whatever. And he, he meets Satan who basically tells him, look, you know, I can fix all of your problems. Right. And the guy is like initially really against it, but he gets in a situation where he's like, mm, you know what, maybe, maybe I will. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of, it, sh- it shifts like everything in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just did like a, like a, I don't know, five minute short film version of it as sort of a teaser to to attract investment. And it like off the chart, I think if you go to angel studios website, you can probably find it. Okay. Um, but I mean, and we may have to, 
may have to bring that back up next podcast and talk about it some more because it was really, really an interesting, you know, it's kind of a mix of sci-fi and, um, and sort of a Christian um, film theme that I thought was, you know, really creative and was mm -hmm. very, it was interesting and okay, like this is a Christian filmmaking, you know, production company that is willing to sort of branch out we know them because of the biblical stuff that they're doing, but branching out into sort of the larger culture to actually infuse the values and the message of a Christian perspective into some of these other genres. Like well, that to me thing. is the future. Like that is, that is yeah. how you reclaim the culture is to do it yeah. better than, you know, the other side, which is lost cannot right. tell a compelling story anymore because they are mm -hmm. so woke and so, just completely slaves to this this null value set that is dominating Hollywood. And yet, kind of getting back to Kanye, like his big complaint and concern that I don't think he did a good job of articulating is not that the Jews control the record industry. It's that the record industry, like all of this other stuff in Hollywood and the culture, is controlled by a very small number of people. And that control is centralized and you're, you know, they tell you what you can say and what you can't. It's decided by a, a, a mm -hmm. closed circle of folks that you can't break into, even if you're Kanye West, right? Mm -hmm. If he'd have said it that way, right. I think he would have gotten like universal agreement because everybody knows that, even though they won't necessarily talk about it at parties. Um, and he got, well, I they think he can't got because it, talking about the Jews when that's right. not really the, I mean, most of these people may very well be Jewish. Okay. Like that, right. you know, that I think may be a thing, but that's not what's important here. What's important is no. it's a small no. number of people who share the same personal philosophy, political philosophy, and love of power um, above mm -hmm. all other things that, uh, that, you know, really is the problem. Well, and the thing is, is like anything in America, when you get too much of a monopoly, something will pop up and it's interesting. I don't know about you, but I've always been like biased against like Christian music, music, Christian art, because it's always kind of stunk. And so people were talking about The Chosen for a year before I, I was like, somebody was, you know, browbeating me, Melissa, you got to watch this. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Right. finally watched it on my phone and then I binged the whole thing over a weekend like I wasn't sleeping I was watching the whole thing mine was very my experience was similar I and I was like I'm an idiot you know this is fantastic entertainment and it's also really you know my oldest son is a bit of a biblical scholar but he was like mom I'm not sure if that happened. I was like no we don't know they're filling in some story gaps you know right. and uh so, you know, having that conversation, but being able to share something unapologetically and, and there's some hardcore stuff is coming, you know, there, this is hardcore stuff is coming. And I really hope that they continue into the, um, you know, the travels of like Paul and Barnabas and, you know, really get into the Roman, You've you got know, the entire um, foundation of a church and like all the, you know, the letters from, uh, from, um, or Paul's cool. letters and all the rest of that stuff that, yes. absolutely, you know, all, all the, all of the apostles stories, I mean, all of that is compelling. 
not only is it compelling, but it's like, it's not, it's ground that's not really all that well trodden. No, I mean, nobody's talked about it, but it's so important. And then the thing is, is like, I'm like, are they going to get into how each one of the apostles are killed? I mean, mean, this is hardcore crap. Like this is like rated R stuff. So I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see, and I'm just excited. Well, compare that story to like, okay, how many sequels of bad movies to begin with is Hollywood going to, oh, let's do some more Marvel eventually. Like, yeah. And that's all played out and done. All right. And all this is, is just beating that dead horse some more to see if some money falls out. Right. Like there's no more creative juices flowing on any of that stuff. Whereas here you've got all of this biblical stuff Mm -hmm. that hasn't been touched in a generation or more. All right. And like some of the mm-hmm. stories haven't been touched at all. Like well, I, you know, I, I mentioned redeeming love. I guarantee you three quarters or more mm-hmm. of the people that are watching this podcast be like Jose and Gomer. And they're like now going to go back and, and, you know, Google it and find out like, I don't right. know anything about that. And it's like, okay. I mean, if this is not a, you know, that's, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. I get it, but it is actually a really mm-hmm good story to tell about somebody that you know look love love is unconditional and love supports mm-hmm. people all this kinds of stuff um uh, you know what has surprised me is there has not been this is this is my pitch to Holly this angel studios if you're listening this is what i want to do i shouldn't say should i say the idea out loud because i think it's a great one just, but no one has just, no one has done a modern version of saul and his son, Jonathan, David, and his sons, Absalom, and all of that, and all of the political manifest manifestations, and set it, like, I see it in a, like, a business setting, where know. an empire is, is, Absolutely. you know, in a hostile takeover, and then, and then literally hunting the guy, it, like, would happen, and I, I just can, think you it could, half the Old Testament, you can, you can put it because the the values and the lessons and, and the right. human nature and all of that kind of stuff is like it's intact, taking it out of that and putting it in a different setting. Um, like those are the kinds of things that I've been waiting for conservative filmmakers yeah. and Christian filmmakers to like get into. And I, I think there's been sort of this, you know, like reticence to, to mm-hmm. live in the modern moment. Right. And then there's, well, you know, we're going to talk about something 2000 years ago and is it really relatable? And are we going to put money into this? And and I think you're finally beginning to see a little, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, sort of the maturation of a conservative film industry where, you know, they are willing to take the lessons that, and this is all stuff that like old Hollywood, when it reflected Amer- American values and traditional Western right. values would commonly do. I mean, Cecil B. DeMille was making like big biblical stories with thousands of extras and all this kinds of stuff. Right. And like making a spectacle out of the Bible, right? Like the Ben-Hurs and, you know, the. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I could rattle off all of those DeMille movies, but like they used to make, those were summer tentpole movies, right? I mean, they right. built Hollywood on a lot of that stuff. Charlton Heston as Moses and all and like then completely got away from all of that and opened that space wide up 
for yeah. somebody else to come along and um, and do it. I mean, if somebody were to do Charlton Heston as Moses, like if Angel Studios did it or whatever, like, you know that every church in America would be like, okay, Sunday service this week is at the theater. And they would fill that place up. And I mean, right. it, would, it would be a billion dollar movie like that when the churches got involved. You saw what happened with Passion of the Christ, which was a little on the edgy side, right? If somebody mm -hmm. were to do a DeMille remake of the Ten Commandments or whatever, okay, and not from this kind of Hollywood Gnostic freaking awful perspective like they did with Noah and all of that, right. but somebody like really, okay, you know, like we actually love these stories and we're going to, you know, right. do like a big budget thing. First of all, you'd make, you'd get the money raised for it. I mean, you, you could do Noah modernly. You could oh. do Noah sci-fi with him taking his family and all the animals and all the seeds and whatever in right. a spaceship. Right. right. And like, hey, I mean, there's just a, so many a, ways. That, here's yes. a, you know, here's a, a, a black hole or something. And if you pilot mm -hmm. the spaceship through that, here's a, you know, this is another planet. Like, yeah, like that story could be done. Right. Because, and Noah is a Elon Musk type figure. Right. Right? who everybody Maybe thinks is crazy again, he's like a born again christian or some kind of deal like that yeah you could make a story like that right and go and do and it would be a like automatic hit okay yeah. automatic hit people will people will go and see avatar okay as idiotic and stupid as all that is <laughs> yeah and you're gonna make a billion dollars on that garbage something like this if it's not awful it's going to make at least two, three hundred, four hundred million dollars. Right. And if you reinvest that into something else, you will beat Hollywood. Like you will make that entire structure collapse because everybody's going to say, y'all don't know how to make movies anymore. These guys do. Well, OK, and let me tell you that happens. There's no more money for these guys. So there's a fight happening the, between these two worlds. So. Jojo Siwa, I don't know if you know who she is. She's this, she was this young teeny bopper YouTube girl on Dance Moms, um, you know, rotten brat of a kid, rotten mother. And she's grew up, now she's come out as non-binary. She's got her female partner, whatever. Candace Burr, who is, do you know who Candace Burr is? Yeah. So she, um, evidently when Jojo was little, Candace Burr was her, you know, because she watched Full House was her dream person. And on a red carpet, uh, Candace Burr didn't have time or something because she was doing something else to take a picture with this kid. And the kid held it against her. But the real purpose of her coming out with this on her Instagram was because Candace Burr is a Christian and she wanted to make her look bad. And Jojo C is a 20 something, you know, lesbian brat. Right. And so this this comes out and then Candace Berg is, you know, they have the Hallmark Channel, right? right. With all of these kind of sweet, you know, Christmas yeah, she's stories. Like, she's like the Christmas movie queen. Yeah. Uh, well, so they moved that into there's now a Christian version of that. And Candace Burr is is heading well, this up. I think it's it used to be the Great American Country Channel and now it's the Great American Family Channel. Yeah, um, something like that. Now, yeah, she's now like moved because because Hallmark has gone whoa, right? Right. And so yeah, yeah. So now they have like gay couples like, okay, well, who are I'm together. Gonna make, I'm going to do my Christmas movies on Great American Family. Yeah. And when she did that, it was like, oh, that's so horrible. This is like, right. what's wrong with that? I mean, she's like, 
she's not telling people not to watch Hallmark anymore. Right, she's just right. signed a deal with this other channel because she'd have more creative control, essentially, is what this is. Yes, also, right. like, she's a horrible person. It's like, right. okay, this is not how people who are confident that their point of view ultimately is going to win. This is not how they act. No. Right? You don't deny somebody the opportunity to go do their thing if you think that their thing isn't a threat to you. Right. And it manifestly is yeah. not intended as a threat. I mean, just because Candace Burr's making movies at Great American Family for Christmas, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that people can't also watch woke Hallmark movies for Christmas. But everybody knows nobody's going to watch woke Hallmark movies for Christmas because right. they're gonna be like, yeah, that's crap. I don't want to watch it. All right. I mean, right. like, that's literally what this is. They know that their point of view stinks and does not work. Okay. Right. And so this is why they go nasty immediately. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, just like everywhere else, I think there's this, this cultural thing that is happening kind of on the background. Mainstream media is not given any air to any of this stuff, but the chosen and this, this other, this alternative media is becoming the mainstream media for yeah. many people now. Right. And, and so it's shifting and, Hollywood might find themselves strangely marginalized living by the way in a, yes in a cesspool in LA we were talking one of our um, writers and then we really need to wrap this up uh one of our writers was in um uh San Francisco and is is reporting Ellie Gardy's re reporting on Gavin Newsom his Cal what he's done to California what he's done when he started doing in San Francisco and we were talking about the homeless problem and the pictures that she took, unbelievable. But when I was oh. out in California a couple of years ago, Los Angeles, I lived in Pasadena for three years back in the late 80s and 90s and early 90s. And these Griffith Observatory is surrounded by homeless people. Like you have to wind your way through them. And these are rich neighborhoods, like going up into the foothills. And I looked up the data. There's 70,000. This was a couple of years ago. So I'm sure it's more 69,000 homeless people in LA County. Right. 50,000 in LA itself. Right. That's obscene. And so you have this like, and you know, New York, I don't know if you noticed, is having problems with the rat population and they're like hiring people to especially exterminate. I'm like, these places are literally being overcome by filth yeah. and, and, and there's a physical degradation happening yeah. now. I don't want to get into the pee and the poo because that's, you know, that's like a, right. the poo is a problem in San Francisco. Like you get yeah. homeless people and you get poo on the sidewalks and it's like, it, like and but what this comes down to and i mean it, it, tra it traces back to like we're talking about the promotion of people who stink at their jobs we're talking about mm -hmm. an entire political and personal and and you know um moral philosophy that is antithetical to competence yeah Right. And everything is about your identity and nothing is about whether you're any good. It's anti-meritocratic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it and it reaps exactly what you would figure from based based on what it sows. I mean, and we're, you know, like it's inescapable at this point. Hollywood can't make a movie anybody wants. These publishing houses, you know, 
crash and burn with every book they publish. Um, yep. They run the cities into the ground. They've run the federal government into the ground. <clears throat> They've run these social media platforms into the ground. Nothing works. Everybody sees their products. All of it is crap. People don't want to buy it. Um, and, you know, and so we like we have this. The evidence is there. And like to your point, people aren't pissed off enough about it. Um, you know, my my response to that is just wait because <laughs> right. eventually they will because it's not going to get better, right? The only way or it gets maybe they are the direction. Maybe um, I'm wrong. Maybe they're just quietly voting with their dollars and they're like, you know, giving well, up are. on the system That's and they're just moving to places they feel safer. They're watching media where they feel safer. They're getting jobs where they feel surrounded by people that they can you know, feel comfortable with and that they support ideologically. Right. And, and the great sorting is not just geographic. It's, it's across it's the board. Cultural that, that's definitely and, true. Yeah. So, well, you know, time will tell how this is going to be, but I would recommend that one of the last things before we go, if you don't know what to get your um, friends and family for Christmas, I have two recommendations. One is Peace of Soul by um, Martin Sheen. The second is Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen definitely <laughs> would not have written no, that. No, I'm just laughing. Yeah, no, not Martin Sheen. Um, and then our, our own Scott McKay. Buy his oh, book. Yeah, here we go. Boom. The Revivalist Manifesto. Because the thing is, is and the next book is good that you're going to be working on is going to be about more solutions uh well that but in in the meantime i have another book that's going to come out probably in the spring um mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to give a title yet because it's a working title and we're not ready but the book is going to be about obama um mm -hmm. and how um fundamentally he managed to transform america in all kinds of mm -hmm. ways that were not good um yeah. and it kind of ties into the whole revivalist bit as well because um, you know, I, Obama is the one that pushed the Democrat Party and the left in general in a direction that fell far away from the American mainstream. Um, mm -hmm. And somehow they've not paid a price for that, you know, commensurate with the actual damage that they've done. And the book is an examination of all this. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process where I'm really just trying to kickstart it because a book will, once you get going, you're you amaze yourself how fast you can write a book but that first quarter of it is a real slog through the mud so i'm, I'm in the slog um mm. part but you know it's kind of an examination of things and like everything that i'm going back looking at the history of the obama stuff is like more and more from a 15 years down the road perspective mm -hmm. i'm just like wow okay because when it was happening you didn't have the perspective and like so right. much has happened since but like going back and reviewing 2007 2008 2009 from a 2022 perspective right i mean i like i'm really glad the publisher came to me and wanted me to write this book because it probably wouldn't have been written right mm -hmm. and you know that i get to write it i mean i think it has the potential of being really really a good book so maybe maybe we'll be talking about this for next christmas's present for everybody. I don't know. We'll see. Well, so, you know, I think, I think that what we talked about today is hopeful 
because outside, you know, the political machine, Americans are very resilient and the political machine has been very bad at different times. I was just reading an article about how on the committee, uh, uh, on the Un-American committee, there were actual paid, um, you know, KGB agents, you know, some of the elected officials were on in the pay of the KGB or at that time, I forget what it was under Stalin, but um, KVD yeah, and K, yes, something. Yeah, I don't want to say it wrong, but I think that's right. Anyway, but the idea that our government has ever been, you know, super awesome, um, government by man tends to not work out too well. So, but Americans find a way around it and find a way to keep going. And and I think it's very heartening what they're doing culturally to take things into their own hands. And all, you know, praise goes to Dallas Jenkins, who is the director and who is the visionary behind Angel Studios. And um, we need more Dallas Jenkins. I hope Kanye becomes a, the Dallas Jenkins for maybe for music. Make your own, make your own empire. He's, a guy like him can be free and he can do it. He's certainly talented enough. And, but you might have to build it from the ground up. You might have to build like um, he wants to, you know, have clothing lines or uh, get into architecture, whatever his thing is, he can do it. I think, it's but you can't build it from the ground up because yeah, build, yeah, yeah, make it yours. And I think that's the thing uh, for people who feel marginalized that, that has to happen. I mean, like what Tyler Perry has done, yeah. um, you know, he, he, he wasn't seeing media that he wanted to see. He created it. Yeah. And so, and now has an empire. So I'm yeah. hoping, and he's also a Christian guy. So, you know, another guy who's like not operating within the system created his own system in Georgia. So I hope that, you know, it is hopeful, you know, Americans are resourceful and, and we're seeing that in entertainment. These big businesses, I hope, are, you know, Teddy Roosevelted, and, um, you know, we can maybe begin again and have a better, you know, more federalized system, a fairer system. But in the meantime, there are things that we can do. So buy these books, share them, because any transformation individually makes a difference for the country, and it starts one person at a time, and so we all can do that. So thank you for listening. And, and to that point, subscribe to us here, share Smash our that. stuff. Smash it. And also subscribe. We have the best deal going right now for the American Spectator magazine. Again, if you want to see the kind of media that you want to see, it costs money. And we, we want to do really, and we do, we have a high quality, beautiful magazine that we are doing that covers the politics and the culture and is trying to capture each moment from a conservative perspective. And we have amazing, like this, this new issue that we have, we have what I consider to be like the definitive piece on China by one of our writers, John Jang. We have a definitive piece on kind of where the culture is going and an understanding of the political kind of world that we're living in right now so you know we have good stuff and um we need you to subscribe to support it so we can do more and where we have a generous donor who helped um helped ellie darty who's doing all this amazing reporting look for her she's got uh 12 articles in the hopper all about what 
the California experiment under the governor. So under Gavin Newsom, and he, we're going to hear more about him. I don't care what he says about not running against Biden. Biden, I think is a dead man walking. So we'll see. So anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. And um, the spectacle, it continues to be the spectacle. So the political world, the cultural world is the spectacle. Anyways, thank you for watching. We'll see you then.